1: Hi there, good evening and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. Welcome to the program. Happy Tuesday. The phone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 833, the number 4, Valdez, 833-482-5337. And Joe Biden, Joe Biden's in a, he's always in the hot seat, right? He's Joe Biden. That's kind of uh, how it works for him. Uh, But there's a bunch of things with Joe Biden today, and not the least of which is um, his non-response, other than saying we take this very seriously, of some Americans that were killed in Mexico. And we talked a little bit about that, but now we know that they were killed first. We heard that they were abducted on camera. But again, the abduction, you know... It showed them dragging a body, leaving a trail of blood behind. You know, it looked like they were dragging dead bodies, but nobody wanted to speculate on that until they know, and they've now found two of those bodies. And um, the BBC is reporting that these individuals were in Mexico in order to get a tummy tuck surgery. So we're going to get into that a little bit later. I'm just blown away that, you know, that went wrong the way it did. Um, And now with regard to President Biden, he just basically the White House said, uh, yeah, we're taking this pretty seriously. Um, And and that's all they've said. Uh, We also had the hearing uh, today where they uh, were grilling Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. And we're going to get to that in the next segment. But what I want to talk about now is uh, by now you've seen clips, I'm sure, of uh, Fox News's exclusive on the video that they have obtained, uh, from the house of representatives regarding January 6th. And everybody's out there saying, Oh, this is a forest. They're lying. This is this, this is that. And, uh, ultimately it seems that they are just not, uh, not concerned. Uh, they're just, you know, saying it's fake. Chuck Schumer has been out there saying, no, it's just, It's fake. And I'm thinking to myself, how can you tell somebody who just watched a video of police marching this infamous man now, he lives in infamy, the Q shaman, right? The guy with the horns on his head, the tattoo on his chest, face paint. Uh, How do you say to someone that just watched a video and clearly saw it with their own eyes, the video speaks for itself and say, well, Fox News is misrepresenting it. When In fact, Fox News has discovered that the video that we saw on loop and that we saw during the January 6th committee hearing, in fact, had additional audio added to it to make it seem like it was something that it wasn't. It was edited. And this is why they hired a big ABC News producer. So I I just find it so fascinating that um, this is the case. But we have a a clip of audio of a reporter speaking with... uh, Karine Jean-Pierre at the White House press briefing today uh, saying that um, Tucker Carlson from the Fox News channel cherry picked this January 6th video calling them tourists instead of insurrectionists. (laughs) Listen to this. Last night, Tucker Carlson cherry-picked video surveillance from the January 6th insurrection, severely downplaying the events of that day. Uh, He said the mob was orderly and meek and that they were tourists instead of insurrectionists. What's your response to Carlson and to Speaker Kevin McCarthy who granted him
2: access to that video? Um,
3: Anybody who watched that video would strongly disagree. Anybody who watched that video uh, in a with their own eyes in a real way and saw what happened on that day would would disagree with what was just stated. Um, the president has been very clear. January 6th was the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War, and we should be focused on making sure that never happens again. And so we are certainly, uh, we agree. I know um, uh, minority leader and uh, Uh, and uh, Senator Schumer have already said this and would hope that keeping the Capitol and Congress safe and secure remains uh, congressional leader's number one goal, and that should be our focus, and that should be what should be considered here. Um, And uh, again, it was one of the darkest days of our democracy, and all you have to do is watch those videos and see how horrific it was, see how sad it was, see an attack on the Capitol, which should not be happening in 2020, And uh, we got to get down to the bottom of what happened. Again, it was an attack on our democracy. And uh, I'll just leave it there.
1: Okay, so again, a non answer from KJP, Karine Jean Pierre, where she basically is not saying anything about anything uh, other than the magic words that they have been told to use. And they were told to use the words attack on democracy, insurrection, attack on democracy. Uh, But the reality was that uh, democracy wasn't attacked it just it wasn't the the process worked just fine joe biden's in office today nothing stopped that from happening the the fact that the people voted worked right i mean it, by all accounts it worked i know there's people probably saying but come on rich trump should have won okay that's that's fine but um you know those that are criticizing that att- democracy under attack are the same people that that think that joe biden should have won so it, it's oxymoronic in terms of making this argument however the uh, the Democrats are up in arms about this. Matter of fact, Chairman Benny Thompson of the J6 Committee, I should say former chairman because it's a now disbanded committee, he um, he made a couple of comments to Carrie Pickett from The Washington Times, and we've got the audio. As soon as it's queued up, we'll play that for you. But it's just interesting to me how Corinne Jean-Pierre will sit there and you know make these circuitous comments and go round and round but never really answer anything and just say that you know people... She's saying the same thing I'm saying, but I'm not going around in circles here. I'm... Just watched the video. The video speaks for itself. And she goes on to say anybody who watched that video would strongly disagree. Anybody who watched a video with their own eyes in a real way saw what happened. And I'm thinking, I saw the video too. And I saw a police officer on either side of Mr. QAnon shaman walking him into the chamber. Not out of the chamber. They weren't arresting him. They weren't handcuffing him. They weren't doing anything. He seemed like he was leading the way. So... I think, if anything, it's a legitimate question that we should ask. Somebody might say, no, that's the protocol. They make sure the guy walks in front so that he can't grab their gun from behind. And they're um, leading, saying, you know, make a left, make a right, go straight here. Maybe that's the fastest way to their holding cell. And they didn't want to, uh, to you know, disturb the peace, if you will. I mean, listen, whatever answer you give, I'll, I'll listen to it. But right now it seems like we're not getting any answers. All that January 6th committee for what? For nada. Because we've got video now that seems to confirm what all the quote-unquote conspiracy theorists were saying. That there was no insurrection. There was no armed attack. That there were um, black-clad, uh, masked in a, a uh, anti-fascist uh, Antifa activists. So it's... It's anybody's guess, right, on why Karine Jean-Pierre is taking this approach. But nonetheless, that's the approach that she is taking. Anyway, we have, uh, we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss, uh, like I said, what happened in Mexico. Uh, and we're also going to discuss CRT and how government abuse is running rampant. We're going to do that with our buddy Amir Beno. He's coming up a little bit later. Uh, but first, I want to get with Heritage Fellow E.J. Anthony. He's an economist, and we're going to talk about what happened today with Chairman... Uh, Powell from the Federal Reserve Bank, and we're also going to learn a little bit about CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, and why that's a huge problem for America. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
4: The data from January on employment, consumer spending, manufacturing production, and inflation have partly reversed the softening trends that we'd seen in the data just a month ago. Some of this reversal likely reflects the unseasonably warm weather in January in much of the country. Still, the breadth of the reversal, along with revisions to the previous quarter, suggests that inflationary pressures are running higher than expected at the time of our previous FOMC meeting.
1: So that is the chairman of the Federal Reserve, um, Jerome Powell, at a hearing today on Capitol Hill and uh, giving his thoughts on what's going on with inflation and saying, look, it's prolonged because of the mild weather, right? It's the weather that's causing inflation now, not Biden or anybody else. This guy, uh, you know, every now and again, he slips up and he admits the truth. But for the most part, he does a good job dancing around things. Now, I want to get to the bottom of this, and I also want to talk about this central bank digital currency. And we've got them for two segments, so I'm looking forward to a good conversation. Uh, E.J. Antony is the research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Sir, welcome to the program.
5: Well, Rich, thank you for having me.
1: You bet. So what's your initial reaction to what you heard Chairman Powell say today, that the weather is somehow um, you know, prolonging inflation? Am I, am I wrong to laugh at that?
5: Oh, no, it's absolutely laughable. I mean, don't forget, this is the same person that told us, uh, you know, there was no inflation and then inflation was just transitory. I mean, these are not serious people, unfortunately. Uh, And I I don't take any joy in saying that, by the way, Uh, number one, because I just I don't think it's good form to criticize another academic. But I, I also don't enjoy saying that because these are the people running the show right? These are the right. people making the calls that are affecting all of our lives. And if they don't know what they're doing, we're in trouble. And that's how you get 9.1% inflation like we saw last year.
1: Yeah, this is a, a big deal. So in looking at, at this, um, I, know, I think the last time we spoke, we had some conversations about a, another rate hike coming in March. Uh, do we still anticipate that one? And how many more do you, you anticipate until uh, inflation's under control?
5: Oh, we, we have a long way to go, unfortunately, but, you know, before inflation is under control. We, we need a lot more rate hikes. We, we probably need more than this Federal Reserve is willing to deliver, which is sad because that means inflation is going to stick around longer than it, than it needs to. But inflation has already been around much longer than it needed to be. What this Federal Reserve has essentially done is kept rates artificially low in order to continue providing money for the Treasury to spend. But the consequence of that has been producing way too much money relative to the size of the economy. And that has led us to this situation where, again, prices are rising faster than incomes, for example. We're we're seeing widespread inflation, and it's due entirely to the fact that, that, frankly, this Federal Reserve has really messed things up.
1: Yeah. So how many more? (laughs) And I, I, I guess there, you know, some people are thinking, Oh, well, there's a little relief in sight because, you know, maybe I can go and buy some property and try and make some money with real estate. But at the same time uh, with inflation going up, you're losing money on, on either side of that equation, but how many more rate hikes do you think uh, we need? uh, And how high do you think the rate's going to get?
5: You know, uh, unfortunately, as, as much as I love doing uh, forecasting work, This Federal Reserve has proven to be nothing, if not unpredictable. Don't forget, Hmm. Powell is the one who promised that a 75 uh, basis point rate hike, in other words, raising interest rates by three quarters of a percent. He Hmm. promised that was off the table and then delivered three in a row. So unfortunately, (laughs) we we just can't like this is. This is not your father's Fed anymore. This is not Greenspan, where if he said something, you knew that he was going to do it. In fact, there was actually a time in the 90s, if you'll forgive me a tangent real quick, when the market always went up or down based on what oil did. So if oil went up that day, the rest of the market went down, and vice versa, because people knew that the price of oil affects the price of everything else, and that Greenspan would interpret that as inflation or deflation, and he would adjust rates accordingly. That was how predictable the Fed used to be. Today, it's exactly the opposite. And unfortunately, we really don't know where the Federal Reserve is gonna end these rate hikes. My my best guess is that we're probably going to see another four this year, but I, I have to give the caveat that that really is a guess, again, because this Fed is too unpredictable.
1: Wow. But well, I want you to hear uh, another short clip uh, from the hearing today of uh, Jerome Powell uh, at the hearing on monetary policy and, and the economy today. And uh, he's basically, in my opinion, he's making the case that the ultimate level of interest rates is – likely to be higher than previously anticipated. (laughs) And I just can't help but laugh at that. It's no laughing matter. But it's just so interesting to, like you mentioned, this is the guy who said this wasn't real, it wasn't happening, it wasn't here, and it's real, it's happening, and it's here. Listen to this.
4: Although inflation has been moderating in recent months, the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go and is likely to be bumpy. As I mentioned, the latest economic data have come in stronger than expected which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be be higher than previously anticipated. If the totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. Restoring price stability will likely require that we maintain a restrictive stance of monetary policy for some time.
1: So it seems to me like he's sort of echoing what you're saying, but leaving enough space to not do it in case he doesn't feel like it.
5: That, that's exactly right. You know, th- this is what what they call Fed speak, where the Federal Reserve Chairman somehow manages in the same sentence to speak out of both sides of his mouth and say that A is true, but A is also not true. And so, what are mm-hmm. we what are we to believe? What direction is, is the market supposed to take in response to this? And unfortunately, there, there is not much direction that you can take from that. You know, one one thing I think is apparent though is that this Fed is going to get it right eventually. They may be two years too late, but they're going to get it right eventually. And so all of the people that have been hounding them and saying rates are too low for too long and when the Fed says, "Oh, well, we think 3% is a good terminal rate." And people respond, no, it's nowhere near high enough. And then the Fed ups it to four, and now to five, and they'll go further probably. You know, uh, this Fed is eventually going to get it right. The problem is that until they do, they're inflicting a whole heck of a lot of pain on the American people in the process.
1: Now, E.J. Antony, you, you know, of the two of us here, you're, you're the economist, and uh, I just can't help but think, why isn't it, why is it that guys like you or guys that share your philosophical view on the economy? Why aren't you guys the ones that are in the Fed? Why is um, Powell there, and why doesn't he get fired for doing, in what I'm estimating, from my uh, my view, uh, a poor job? Well, because part of
5: the problem is that when you, whenever you're dealing with political appointments and political confirmations, which is the case for, for Jerome Powell as the chairman of the, the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, you are not just dealing with people who do a good or a bad job. You know, this isn't the CEO of a, of a corporation where if they do a lousy job, they get thrown out on their butts. You know, we're dealing with a situation where Powell had an incentive to keep rates too low too long because it helped ensure his renomination and his mm-hmm. confirmation for a second term. And, you know, once again, with with the midterms coming up, for example, last year, there was a there was a political incentive not to raise rates too hard and too fast because of the economic fallout that would have precipitated from that and the consequences that there would have been in a midterm election. So when you're in a political world, you have to factor in, I think, those those political
1: consequences. I think you're you're spot on Uh, lamentably. Uh, and I asked that question tongue in cheek. I just wanted to get your take on it. I realized that in Washington, we traffic in the currency of politics, and, and that's a very real thing. But we're going to talk about currency on the way back. We're on with EJ Antony, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night, and we're coming straight back to you. Don't go anywhere. America. Welcome back. Our guest, E.J. Antoni, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And we're talking about the economy. And he's got an op-ed uh, that's on foxnews.com. Really good piece. I'm going to tweet it out so you can take a look at it. Uh, but the title of it, the scary Fed idea to turn your dollars into a digital power grab. Digital dollars could let the Fed monitor or even control how you spend your money. E.J. Antoni, tell us, uh, Now, let's walk through this, because this is a topic of concern where, you know, a couple of years ago, people were telling me about this. And at the time, it was, well, that's just a conspiracy theory. Now I hear that they're actually considering uh, a vote on some sort of limited version of this. Uh, Tell us about it.
5: Well, Rich, that's exactly right. You know, you really hit the nail on the head with worries about like some kind of conspiracy here because when i first started reading into this i said the exact same thing my reaction was oh this is this is some kind of like lunatic fringe theory that <laughs> that that people say is 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 uh, going to be implemented there's no way something like this is going to happen and then you turn around and you see that our own treasury department and officials in our own federal reserve system are actually pushing for this. And you see other countries around the world where they are actively pushing for it as well. In fact, they're in the mm-hmm. beginning stages of implementing such a system. It is it is truly scary. So, so what are we talking about here? A, a digital currency is not like uh, what, what we often think of with a dollar being digitized, where, oh, I can pay with a credit card or right. I receive Venmo, my
1: PayPal Cash
5: deposit. App. Right, exactly. It's it's not simply that we're not using cash and that we're using a, electronic means to to transfer money. No, no. This is something different. A digital currency is where every dollar is unique, it has a unique fingerprint and the government is capable of of tracking, tracing and therefore taxing every single transaction that happens. But what's even scarier than that is it also gives the the government the power to determine the purpose of individual dollars because each dollar again is unique and they can keep track of it and so it's very easy for the government for example to say this dollar is allocated for food and not only just for food you can't use it for to pay your rent or your mortgage you can't use it to to put gas in the tank or buy clothing whatever the case may be you have to use it for food but also what kind of food you know, these are the same people advocating this who are also telling us that we need to stop eating beef because right. it's bad for the environment and we mm-hmm. need to get our protein from from bugs, for example.
1: <laughs> See, now this—and this is—you're this is, <laughs> so, so much better at this than I am because I freak out when I hear stuff like this because it sounds to me like a real violation of one's liberty. I'm thinking, I want to go on vacation. You know, what if what if I want to go somewhere you don't like? Are you going to say I can only use my dollar, my digital dollar, my CBDC Central bank digital currency, can I only use that to go to this place or that place? Uh, to me, it sounds like the beginning of the system that they use in China. And maybe I'm taking a big jump here, but I know in China people no, can't no, travel not, if not they don't all. have the right score. Right, Rich,
5: that, that is not a big leap at all. In fact, you can even find there There are publicly available memos from central banks around the world, the Bank of England is is a perfect example. Again, these are publicly available documents. This isn't mm-hmm. some kind of like you know behind closed doors grand conspiracy. No, this is publicly available information. I mean that that's one of the things that makes it so scary is that these people are are completely uh, above board about about what they want to do here. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. They say specifically things like a social credit score system can be much more easily implemented if you have a central bank digital currency, this this digital dollar, because without that, it makes it very, very difficult to to implement this kind of thing. I mean, these people want to even be able, for example, to limit how much you can save, right? They want to do things like put expiration dates on your dollars so that after That's you get crazy. your paycheck, you may only have a month or so to spend it before that money is just going to disappear on you
1: this is crazy to me. And, and I can tell you, I know some crazy people <laughs> and I'm thinking they're not, this is not going to go over well with them. Now, what, um, you know, what would be the, obviously we're going to go through Congress and we'd have to fight people on this. Uh, but is there a, uh, a major hurdle that they have to overcome in order to achieve this? Um, what, what's the, the plan to implement something like this?
5: Uh, I think all you would need to do is simply pass a law that changes the Federal Reserve Act. All you would have to do is, is amend the Federal Reserve Act. You know, we, we still talk about dollars as our currency, but we haven't had dollars for a very long time in this country. What we actually have are, are Federal Reserve banknotes. And you know, right. that's been the case ever since we had the Federal Reserve. And so all you really need to do is amend that act to change the currency. I mean, it really is quite scary. This, I think, is one of the reasons, Rich, if I may, why I, I really would urge all of your listeners to contact their senators, to contact their representatives, and to let them know they do not want this central bank digital currency in America. As you, as you correctly pointed out, it is a complete infringement on people's liberties.
1: Yeah, it sounds like the road to serfdom, like coming to life. And, and that's pretty scary. Uh, very, very scary stuff. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick pause. E.J. Antony, I want you to stick with me if you can. We're going to come back and uh, kind of finish up on your article, which is really, really well done. And take a look at it, at Rich Valdez with Anessa. It's going to be on, on Twitter, at Rich Valdez. And um, read through it. This is really interesting and scary stuff. And again, we've got research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, E.J. Antony. He's on with us right now explaining this stuff. And uh, I was hoping he'd say, no, 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 you're wrong. This is, this is on the level. But it's not. <laughs> it's everything I thought it was. And that's not good. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right right there. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: America, welcome back. Rich Valdez and our guest is E.J. Tony, the research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And we're talking about the economy. We're talking about something called a central bank digital currency, uh, known as a CBDC. A bad idea. And I put out the article that um, E.J. Tony wrote with respect to CBDCs. But uh, we, we talked about why they're bad and how they can be controlled. Uh, but the the reality is these things are entirely under bureaucratic control because they're so unique, and that's what I think makes it more nefarious and more difficult. So EJ Anthony, walk us through the the tail end of your of your piece because again, it doesn't just stop there.
5: No, not not at all. And and again, I I, I can't under or excuse me, I can't overestimate for people the amount of control that that a, a central bank digital currency allows for the bureaucracy and how easy it is for the bureaucracy to, to exercise that control. It can literally be done at the push of a button because again, these things are programmable by virtue of the fact that they are all unique and all have that, that unique uh, digital fingerprint. And so, you know, if, if you can uh, think of any kind of behavior in the tax code, for example, that the government tries to encourage or discourage. Think of like buying an electric car, right? Mm-hmm. We give these these massive tax credits, for example, for you to buy an electric vehicle. Well, again, there are publicly available memos from central bankers where they explicitly say the kinds of things that we have been trying to encourage people to do via the tax code, we can now force them to do via the central via a central bank digital currency because now instead of just trying to encourage you to use your dollars, let's say to buy an electric vehicle. Now we can say, Hey, these dollars you have in your bank account, they can only be used for that. And if you don't use them for that, again, they have an expiration date. They're going to go away. So use it or lose it, do what we want you to do, or you don't get to have it at all.
1: (laughs) This is like a bureaucrat's dream.
5: It it is. This is 1984 on steroids. And and again, like I I don't mean to sound alarmist here. I don't mean mean, to sound
1: conspiratorial.
5: But I mean this is like these are. I'm using these people's
1: own words. It's not as if I'm making this up. Yeah, this is scary. So this is uh, interesting. And again, my hope is that you know, in changing any law, you you need members of Congress to to do that, to file this amendment, vote on the amendment, get it you know out of committee. And my hope is that. We'll have enough of a, a majority to, to never allow that to happen, at least for the time being. But it seems like a fight that, that they'll continue to, to to wage on because this makes a lot of sense for somebody who's uh, in favor of a larger government, less liberty, and more control over your money than you have. And to me, that this seems like a great way to do it, no? Oh,
5: absolutely. This This is such a tremendous Trojan horse, and it is a godsend. Uh, to those who want, as you said, bigger government and they want more control over people's lives, you know there are a lot of very well intentioned bureaucrats out there who think that they know better than you or I how to run your life and my life respectively and so you know they they abuse the world uh, uh, with the approval of their own conscience uh, as as Churchill once said and and that is a particularly scary thing to to have to go up against because You know, unlike uh, uh, unlike other people who who may do their nefarious actions for for other darker purposes, these bureaucrats are doing it with the approval of their own consciences.
1: Yeah, sadly. Now, this doesn't just affect me and my money. This could also affect, you know, companies and corporations and how their collective money You know, one corporation versus another, like, you know, in the media, we're seeing how AT&T is kind of putting the kibosh on Newsmax because they, for lack of a better word, they disagree with their programming and they're saying, we we don't like you. In a situation like this, the government would have power to be like, well, we don't like what you're saying, so we're going to limit your dollars. And while it doesn't sound fair and it sounds far-fetched, in effect, this could happen in the business world.
5: Right. That's exactly right. It could happen, but it's also not that far from, from what has already happened from the kinds of control that the government has already tried to exercise with things like canceling contracts for, for businesses that do any kind of work with the government. You know, if you don't kowtow right now to the Biden administration's woke agenda, for example, they will do everything they can to penalize you, whether that's through regulatory agencies, again, or, or canceling contracts. You know, and, and another private group, um, another like, private industry that should be particularly concerned about all this would be banking, because with the level of control that a central bank digital currency offers... You don't even need a bank anymore. In other words, the central bank can loan directly to consumers and effectively put all regular banks out of business because the amount – the level of control that they have makes that possible.
1: Horrible. Uh, Folks – we're on with EJ Antoni, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Check out the piece that I put out. It's a Fox News piece, excellent piece on this CBDC, central bank digital currency. You can follow him on Twitter at Real EJ Antony. Uh, EJ Antony, anything else that you uh, want us to to know about, or let the listeners know how to follow you and keep in touch with the work that you're doing?
5: Oh, the the best place to follow me, as you said, is on Twitter at Real EJ but you know, just one other thing that I want people to keep in mind, of you know, it wasn't that long ago that we found out that governments were doing things like taking control of our digital thermostats without our knowledge, let alone our permission. So my mm. goodness, if, if their own words aren't enough to disavow us of our naivete that they really want to do these things, their actions speak louder than words. Pay attention to what these people have already done and allow that to serve as a good predictor of what they will do if we give them even more power.
1: Wow. Well put. Sir, thank you. I hope to have you back soon. I appreciate you staying up late and uh, to be with our audience. It's live and national, and uh, I think they appreciate it too. Hope to have you back soon.
5: Oh, Rich, my pleasure. Thank you, sir.
1: You bet. All right, folks, your calls and more coming up straight ahead, Eight three three four 4 valdez 833, the number four, my last name, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S, don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and uh, let's go to La Crosse, Wisconsin, W-I-Z-M, and check in with Ann. Hey, Ann, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
7: Well, how are you doing, uh, Rich? Uh, You're looking good tonight. Looking handsome. Thank (laughs) you.
1: I appreciate that, Uh Ann. You look terrific as well. What's on your mind?
7: Well, I am uh, looking terrific. I got my beauty rest, so, and I can't wait till tomorrow. And I can't wait till tomorrow.
1: What's tomorrow? Because,
7: well, I get better looking every day.
1: Ah, <laughs> I'm going to use that one. I'm totally stealing that line. So, t- tell me, what's your uh, your thought on the Fed tonight?
7: Well, uh, Rich, but I do have one other question. Uh, I list. I hang on your every word. So, um, Rich, uh, your last name, does that end in
1: Z? No, it ends in an S. Valdez,
7: does that end in Z?
1: It ends in an S. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) The other day somebody Uh, said, man, Rich Valdez, he does a good radio show and he's a great spelling teacher. (laughs) <laughs> they were obviously being tongue-in-cheek and making fun of me. Uh, but it, it's a huge pet peeve of mine. I guess an insecurity where, uh, you know, growing up, it was always like Valdez. And, you know, I just waited for them to mess it up. And then it was like as I was getting older, it was like it's Valdez with, ends with an S, by the way. And and I would let them know, and they would just put the Z anyway. And it was just, you know, it was horrible because then you go back and you're like, hi, my name is, and they can't find you. And it, it just becomes such a big deal, you know, and.
7: Well, I'd just like to hear you talk because I, I really did listen. I hang on your every word. I did hear you say S, but I just had to <laughs> confirm that with you. Pull your leg a little bit. Pull your leg a little bit. Um well, thank you. But um, I have a couple comments, please, um, Rich. Um,
1: yeah, go right ahead. I
7: was listening to your, your guest speak, and he was talking about the government wants the people to eat local, uh bugs. I mean, these people have to be laughing their shock absorbers off that they're they're uh, telling us to eat bugs here. When actually yeah. the Bible, when it speaks of locusts, locusts are actually nuts and, and legumes. They're not bugs.
1: Yeah, That's no, yeah, there, there is. There's a the, whole move uh, of like eating, uh, not quite crickets, but you know, that type of bug where they're crunchy and they're supposed to be really good on protein. You can give up beef. And I thought, no, you know what, I'm going to stick for, to getting uh, my protein from beef.
7: These people have to be laughing their shock absorbers off, telling us uh, that we should be eating this. And people are actually doing that, worms and whatever else. And and another point, please, um, is mm-hmm. that the Federal Reserve is not federal, nor is it a reserve. It has nothing to do with the government. It is a private banking entity, the World Bankers. They, sure. Uh, They um, borrow, lend money to us, the United States, and to countries around the world, and then they charge usury, which is interest at their discretion. So um, they are telling we the people how to uh, manage our own government. And right. And, and, and you know, day. in
1: fairness, and I'm not saying I support the Fed in any way, I think we should end the Fed. But I will say in fairness, the through democracy, the their favorite word on the left, uh, we do choose our leader as president and the president does choose the board of governors and the chairman of the Fed to create this monetary policy in the United States. Not an ideal plan, but it's the current plan, if you know what I mean.
7: John Kennedy was assassinated for two reasons. Number one is he wanted to reform the Federal Reserve. And number two, he wanted to end wars. So the Federal Reserve is a private entity, and you have to know the people who um, are associated with this bank, certain group of people. Um, And so they. Well, you know, another
1: reason uh, that many surmise that Kennedy was uh, shot. Was because <clears throat> because he was friendly with Martin Luther King and because he was not um, towing the line on racism, which was pretty popular in that time. And because of that, they decided to kind of do away with him. So lots of uh, lots of ideas out there. But you're right, Anne. Uh, the Fed is not federal, and it's definitely not reserved. I appreciate the call from Lacrosse, Wisconsin. Uh, W-I-Z-M I I appreciate that now the music of course means we've got to go but not before I tell you about what's coming up next right so we've got let's see what do we got here we're going to talk about CRT and how the government abuses its power not with the CBDC but with um, civil rights issues so don't go anywhere Amir Beno is coming up next here on America at Night with me Rich Valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And we're talking about critical race theory. We're talking about this this um, horrible ideology that has been really injected into our culture and is now permeating so many different conversations uh, and, um, and disciplines throughout the country where it's just becoming commonplace. And it, it's, in my opinion, it's a resurgence of the racism of yesteryear. And uh, we're going to speak a little bit about that with constitutional lawyer and civil rights attorney Amir Benno. He's director of litigation for the Equal Protection Project. You've seen him on Newsmax. You've heard him on this program. Amir Beno, welcome to the program, sir.
8: Rich, thanks so much for having me. It's always uh, an honor to be on with you.
1: Thank you. And brother, all of your I appreciate listeners. it. Amen to that, and thank you. Uh, we appreciate you and all of the great uh, insight and analysis that you bring to the table. Um, and I'm um, 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 congratulations first of all on this new uh, position with the uh, the with the where he go Equal Protection Project as their director of litigation. Tell us about how you got involved in that.
8: Yeah, great. Um, so thanks again for having me on. It is uh, the newest. Project of the Legal Insurrection Foundation. And I've oh, been great. associated with Legal Insurrection for uh, some time. Uh, and listeners can go uh, to their website. Um, and uh, they should go to the Equal Protection Project's website. Uh, that has lots of information. I'm going to launch into it in a second. But it's sure. equalprotect.org. So equalprotect.org. And there they can learn about uh, what we do. But um, so the Legal Insurrection Foundation, there's really three three parts to it. First is Legal Insurrection, the website, uh, which has been around for a long time,
1: uh, mm-hmm. which
8: your listeners might be familiar with, and if they're not, they should subscribe, they should read yeah. it. Yeah,
1: excellent articles um, on there.
8: Yeah, really terrific. And then the second thing, which uh, a few years ago uh, we started, was criticalrace.org, which is... Uh, an uh, interactive maps. It's a database, really, of critical race theory at all levels of education throughout the country. So, But it's information. So people want to learn about whether a college or a high school or any kind of academic institution uh, is promoting, like you are correct in calling it, this, this really pernicious doctrine of critical race theory, uh, then you should go to that website because it has just perhaps the most... Uh, exhaustive and comprehensive, Mm -hmm. you know, um, listing of information. Uh, So the third thing, and this is what we just started uh, at the end of last month, uh, is more of an advocacy arm. And this is uh, Equal Protection Project. The idea is it's to fight discrimination that's engaged in under the name, under the guise of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's the umbrella term uh, that is really uh, code speak for contemporary uh, racial discrimination, and uh, it's really a multi-billion-dollar industry. It exists in academia, it exists in public education, it exists in corporate industry, and uh, and you know across all sectors and in government as well. And what we're doing with the Equal Protection uh, Project is to identify cases where. Uh, This kind of discrimination, based on uh, race and ethnicity, exists. Uh, And then to go after it, and to combat it, and to to do it aggressively, sometimes that results in full-fledged litigation in the courtroom, but sometimes it's less than that. Sometimes we can file a complaint with the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights or with the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, if it has to do with an employment issue. Or we can do it with the state attorney general's office, uh, who, who are charged with enforcing uh, public accommodations laws. But sometimes that doesn't go far enough, and we have to actually bring litigation, and that's where we come in. So um, what we're doing is, is just that, trying to find these uh, instances where they occur, uh, trying to find plaintiffs, uh, and 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 actually challenging these discriminatory policies wherever they exist.
1: Well, this is great. And I, I'm listening to you, and um, and I'm checking out the website myself. And I, I love the um, the slogan here. It's investigate, educate, litigate, and and then it quotes um, uh, a phrase from the Fourteenth Amendment. Which uh, says nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, and of course the Fourteenth Amendment uh, focuses on the uh, equal protection. And um, and I think this is a, a key part of um, the essence of your mission is that in in focusing on one's race or focusing on anything that um, you know of that nature, what we're doing in effect is not offering this equal protection and and kind of um, Equal justice under the law, which I think is is the the bedrock of our American jurisprudence, you know, from my limited purview.
8: Well, you're correct about that, and you know, one of the one of the ideas behind critical race theory, um, and what we're seeing this equity discrimination is the idea that the way to remedy past discrimination is through current discrimination. So you flip the script. And you say, if there was discrimination against people of color, well, then today we should be discriminating uh, against uh, white people. Or if there's discrimination today, then in the future we have to uh, discriminate. And what we're saying is there is no good discrimination. There's no good form of racism. And the answer to past or present racism is not more racism at all, but it is to honor the text of the 14th Amendment that we are all entitled, all of us, regardless of our skin color, our religion, our race, uh, to the equal protection of the laws. And so we reject um, Kendi's theory. He's the one who, uh, the book on how to be an anti-racist, who advocates for... Professor
1: Ibram X. Kendi,
8: yes. Right. (laughs) He advocates for the current discrimination to remedy past discrimination, and we say, no. We also say that you can't judge outcomes or racism by looking at people as a collective and saying, well, all people who have a particular skin color, we look at how a certain metric and see how it compares to, say, white people. And if one is uh, different than the other, then we say, well, there must be structural racism. That's not true. We look at an individual, and our Constitution is based on individual rights. We're not siloed into a group, a collective this idea with, you know, just somebody whose skin color looks like ours, or our religion is the same, or what have you. Um, and if that person hasn't been discriminated against, then there's no structural racism. So we reject this collectivist idea. Uh, where we're promoting uh, the 14th Amendment's promise of equal protection, and we're challenging racism wherever it exists, like I said.
1: Fantastic. Folks, we're on with Amir Beno. He's director of litigation for the Equal Protection Project. Check them out at equalprotect.org. And we're going to continue our conversation on the work they're doing and take a look at some of their current cases and what they plan to do with the with the project. As you know, this is a, a, an arm of legal insurrection, which, again, is a great website that over the years I've gone to for just excellent legal analysis and an honest take uh, and a sober take on what's going on in the the legal world as it pertains to the culture and and the news of the day. So it's really fantastic. I recommend it. Again, we're on with Amir Beno. We'll be right back.
0: This is America at night with Rich Valdez.
7: Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have—I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they
1: love your show, and I appreciate it very much.
0: America at night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and I just want to remind you: if you miss any of the interviews that we do on the program, we've had some great interviews. Uh, feel free to check it out. Go to Rich Valdez, America at night. Click subscribe, sign up for the podcast. You could listen live there as well. But um, in case, you know, let's say you're on a station where they only carry an hour or two hours of the program, you want to hear all three hours, never miss anything. Go there, you could hear all the replays, you could subscribe so you get notifications, you could sign up for the newsletter, you could do whatever you like. So make sure you do that. And uh, I want to reintroduce our guest, Amir Benno, Director of Litigation for the Equal Protection Project. And we're talking about this new project that they have going on at Legal Insurrection called the Equal Protection Project, their website, equalprotect.org. Amir Benno, tell us uh, a little bit about... um, in particular, any cases that you're currently working on uh, that you can enlighten us on a little bit.
8: Sure, Rich. So we've got one with the Providence, Rhode Island Public School District, and what's uh, so interesting, and you'll see in, in so many of these cases, the the discrimination is just so overt. They don't try to to hide it. They they have this program to entice uh, new teachers to work in the district, uh, where they offer some uh, loan student or graduate school um, loan forgiveness. and But the catch is, in order to qualify uh, to to be a candidate for the loan forgiveness program, you can't be white. And they are very <laughs> clear, and they're clear on their website and in their application where they say that. And, um, you know, how that, it's either they, they, they feel that they are, can do this, they have a, some sort of impunity. They can do this without w- worrying that they're they are going to be called out on it, or they're getting some terrible legal counsel. But either way, what they're doing is just completely against uh, the letter the of law. The law and the Constitution. <laughs> right. And so, so we filed um, a, an administrative complaint first with the... Uh, Office of Civil Rights with the Department of Education because they receive federal money. And by the way, the, the Providence Public School District was taken over by the state of Rhode Island. So this is really state action. You have not just right. the municipality in Providence, but the state itself doing this.
1: And, and just, um, I and, just want to chime in for the listeners to understand. Typically, it's been my experience. I was a school board member for nine years, uh, eight years. And um, w- when the state takes over a local district, it's because that district, sucks for lack of a better word or there's something going on that you know is is not uh passing muster.
8: Right. So they've got a lot of challenges and now they've got a legal challenge. And so that case um uh, just by nature of the fact that it had to do with uh, an employment incentive is now over in the EEOC, which is another federal agency that has to do with violations of Title 7, which is uh discrimination in employment um and and that's what this is. And so we're, we're bringing that. One of the challenges that we have and why we're doing, like I said, we do administrative complaints sometimes, is it's hard for people, or people are scared of, of retaliation, so they don't come forward. So one of the, the things that we're trying to do through the Equal Protection Project is to find plaintiffs in these uh, who are willing to step up and say, you know what, this is wrong. I'm willing to put my name on a caption on a lawsuit uh, and to challenge this. And if you The listeners go to EqualProtect.org. Not only can they submit in our contact form tips where they see this kind of equity discrimination happening, but if they're a potential plaintiff and they're willing to to be a plaintiff, they can let us know. They can also donate to the organization at that website, which is uh, important to keep... To keep the organization doing the good work that it is. And uh, if they're a lawyer and they want to join our lawyer network, since we are handling these cases across the country, we always have a need for local counsel. So there's a way for uh, lawyers who want to participate and assist to submit their information to us as well. So uh, lots of great information at the website equalprotect.org. But that Providence case gives you a flavor of the sort of things we're doing.
1: I just want to echo that for everybody that's listening because I know there's a number of attorneys that call into the program and listen to the program. Uh, if you can help out the Equal Protection Project, go to EqualProtect.org and take a look. And anybody else, non-attorneys, that want to say, hey, look, here's a few bucks, keep this thing alive, uh, feel free to give them a, a donation, EqualProtect.org. Uh, and I only say that because I know Amir Beno and I know what he stands for, and I know if he's involved, it's got to be good. So, great. I'm you're welcome. I'm, I'm glad that you're doing this stuff. And I think it's important that this gets done. Now, are there, I guess, aspirations that you have or any goals that you guys, you know, being this a relatively new project of of your your larger organization that you're looking to tackle uh, things that you're you know, on your bucket list, uh, whether it's litigation or goals or whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, what's the, the the next step for the equal protection project?
8: Well, we 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 hope to just tackle these these issues and and to be a force for for good in combating them because it's like the mythical Hydra. Every time you cut the head off of one of these these programs, two sprout up. I mean, it's like a game of whack-a-mole, and in the organization, whack-a-mole in the swamp. That's right. And without an organization like the Equal Protection uh, Project doing this kind of work, they're going to proliferate, and uh, this has to be pushed back. Really, the only way to, to stop this scourge of, of racism, of, of it's really the, the civil rights issue of the day, um, is to fight it tooth and nail, to litigate it in the courtrooms and wherever we can. And so right now, that's just our focus, is to find these instances where they exist, and to squash them, and uh, we'll hopefully be able to continue to grow to do that on a, on a larger scale uh, with the support of the listeners and uh, other, you know, proud Americans out there who, who believe in what we're doing.
1: Now, with a minute or so to go, I uh, just want to get your, your legal analyst hat on for a moment uh, with respect to indictments, indictments uh, of Donald Trump, former President Trump, under the DOJ, the special prosecutor in uh, Georgia, or Alvin Bragg in New York City? What's the probability? Obviously, we know they desperately want to do it. Does it happen? What do you think the outcome is? Go right ahead.
8: Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's so politically charged that I've said for a long time that I believe that it's almost an inevitability that they're going to indict him. Now, keep in mind, you know, the old expression, you can indict a ham sandwich is true. It doesn't take very much to indict somebody. It's essentially just an accusation uh, of probable cause. Um, it's, it's that's it. It's just an accusation. And uh, I believe that they're going to bring these these indictments in jurisdictions where there's Uh, like New York City, where Alvin Bragg is, where the likelihood of having a majority of a grand jury uh, being uh, opposed to Donald Trump is, it's almost a guarantee. And so they're going to do it, Mm -hmm. whether if if Donald Trump is successful and he he runs and he he wins the presidency and a criminal case is still pending, then I believe constitutionally that all of those criminal prosecutions would have to stop. um, And uh, you know, probably, but that's more of a conversation that we don't have time for, but, right, just because, but that would be so uh, because, golden, huh? <laughs> right, <laughs> he so, won I mean, anyway. If, <laughs> right. If That'd he won, sick. they would have to stop. So, I mean, really the, the, they're trying to, to just sideline him, um, right. and however they can. And I, I just don't believe that they're, they're going to walk away from this at this point. I think they've really sort of the sunk cost theory. They've put so much into it. They're going to continue.
1: Right, makes a lot of sense. Folks, Amir Benno, Director of Litigation at the Equal Protection Project. He's a constitutional lawyer, civil rights attorney, and he was a former prosecutor in the city of New York, that same office where Alvin Bragg is today. You can uh, check out their website at equalprotect.org. That's equalprotect.org. And catch him on Twitter at Amir Benno. That's Amir with two E's and Benno with two N's. Amir Benno, good to hear from you, my friend. Glad you're back with us. And I hope to be with you again soon.
8: Thanks. Always a pleasure and an honor.
1: Likewise. Good luck with the new gig at Equal Protection Project. All right. More to come straight ahead. It's me, Rich Valdez. And uh, I'm not going anywhere. Not just yet. Up next, we're going to talk about Mexico. Mexico. All right, America, welcome back. And as you've uh, been seeing on the news, four Americans were kidnapped by heavily armed men in Matamoros, Mexico. And uh, it's been reported by BBC News now that they were there for cosmetic surgery. Uh, And this, uh, according to BBC, this was told to them by the relatives of the individual's. Uh, two of them have, in fact, been killed. The other two are alive. And, you know, they're saying this, one of them was going to have a tummy tuck, removing abdominal fat in order to, you know, have a flatter tummy and whatever and in this border town. And it, it's just, um, it's a, it's amazing what people will go through. Um, you know, they, they went there thinking they were going to get in and out, save a few bucks getting the surgery done in Mexico, and instead all hell broke loose. So I wanted to get with an expert on this. He's the host of Nip Talk, Dr. Bruce Herman. He is a um, board certified plastic surgeon. Dr. Herman, welcome to the program, sir.
6: Thank you so much for having me. I really
1: appreciate you bet. it. Yes, sir. So let's um, talk a little bit about this. Uh, what's your take on this, uh, in this case as it's unfolding in the media?
6: Well, I mean, obviously it's a tragedy. You know, these people travel down there hoping to get surgery a little bit less expensive than they could get it in the United States and get caught in, you know, cartel violence. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could, you know, unpack here as far as is it safe to travel Mexico these days and is it safe to get surgery abroad. So I think there's a lot of things that the public should be aware based on the the events of, of yesterday.
1: Well, let's start there, whichever point you want to start with. Uh, I'd like to get your opinion on that because I think this is clearly a thing that happens, especially around this time of year where people are getting their tax returns. And, you know, people who may not normally um, say, oh, I want to get one of those. um, They're happening. And I I just I just saw an article the other day. I forget where. Otherwise, I'd cite the source. But it was an interesting article. And I guess it made its rounds because I mentioned it to a buddy of mine um, the other day. And he was like, oh, I, I saw that on the news. And basically what he was saying was the actual dangers of having some of these surgeries, Mm -hmm. uh, like the Brazilian butt lift or whatever, that they're actually pretty dangerous. They're not very routine. Even though they're normal and they happen often, there's a lot of risk involved. And, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, you know, if I'm going to go through something dangerous. I, I'm, I'm, I might fly there, but I'm not flying to Mexico, right? I'm,
3: I'm flying <laughs> right. to
1: Manhattan or L.A. or wherever I got the guy who's done the 10,000 surgeries versus the guy who's yep. done, you know, 500 of them because sure. I want the guy with the best odds. But um, exactly right. how, how often of a practice is this?
6: Well, unfortunately, it's very common. In fact, I just today got a consult for a patient that got a tummy tuck in Mexico. She's about two weeks out, came home has got a bad infection and of course she can't go back to her surgeon. I would say I see on average about one patient a month that has some sort of complication from medical tourism and uh, on my show over the past you know seven or eight months I've been doing it I've actually talked about medical tourism quite a bit and how I'm actually very much against it. In fact I oftentimes will have people reach out to me through social media because I've built up a little bit of a following over the years and they want to come travel for me to do the surgery within the United States. And I always tap the brakes just a little bit because I think that when you're talking about medical tourism, probably the first thing to ask is is it safe to even travel from one state to another to get surgery? And for that, I generally think that it's not a great idea. There's two things that I have a problem with in this instance. One is that it's hard to get that initial consult and that initial doctor-patient relationship that's so important when you go do the preoperative consult. A lot of times, when people go to these pop-up plastic surgery places where they fly people in to do surgery, all of the pre-op uh, workup is done basically over the internet, and then you show up, you meet your surgeon right before you go in, and they do your surgery. And then the 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 second issue that I have is the follow-up. Generally, these people are only there for a day or two, and then they're sent back home, and that's when the complications happen. And if you have a complication and it's addressed quickly. Oftentimes it can be dealt with without any problem, but if it's allowed to kind of percolate because you can't get to your surgeon because they're five states away, then people end up having really bad complications.
1: That's an interesting point um, um, that I think, yeah, if you, if you can't be there for the um, the preoperative consult, like you said, and for the follow-up, and if you can't stay there for a while or you can't afford to because it's too uh, time-consuming or um, uh, ineffective for, for your budget, then you probably shouldn't consider that. I know I yeah. wouldn't. And, uh, and I I avoid surgery like the plague. I once had to have a, uh, <laughs> surgery in my throat me. once, and I was like, I'd rather yeah. not, but I had I'm to have done. it. Yeah. yeah, you were saying.
6: Yeah. Oh, i was saying one of the biggest things that you see in malpractice lawsuits is the the biggest driver for malpractice lawsuits generally is poor communication between the patient and the physician, or more importantly, poor communication between the physician and their patient. And when you do this medical tourism, I mean, it's just immediately right off the bat, poor communication. I mean, a lot of times you're you're not even talking to the physician when you're going through the preoperative workup. So I've been a big critic of uh, medical tourism. And, and then when you get into medical tourism abroad, it opens up a whole other problem. I feel like plastic surgery is not very well regulated in the United States. You have a lot of variants from state to state. When you go out of the country, all of that goes out the window because they don't necessarily have the same certifications for boards as well as inspections and certifications for facilities. You really have no idea what you're getting in your physician or your facility when you go to a place out of state or out of the country, and especially in countries that don't have quite the quality of care, such as Mexico, Costa Rica, and Dominican Republic, where a lot of these medical tourism places are.
1: Now, have you personally uh, had to deal with some uh, like emergency situations where things were botched and they're just oh, yeah. uh, absolutely insane?
6: I've seen some stuff that's just really unbelievable. Um, I, I, I take a lot of call around the hospitals uh, in the area where I work, um, just because I, you know, I do a lot of cosmetic surgery, but I also like to do some reconstruction and ER call. It's kind of my way of giving back to the community i'm actually in practice in the town that i grew up in so i want to help people out as much as i can so i do see a lot of these people that get what you'd call botched and, and a lot of times it is from from medical tourism and i mean i've seen things that there's just no way i can fix it i mean just infections that are so bad that the skin is just rotting off or the scarring so bad that it just can't be fixed and so I, that's why I have been, like, on a soapbox, you know, especially on my my show. I think I've talked about medical tourism a couple of times. So I'm going to talk about it again for sure on Friday because of this. I hate that it took a tragedy like this to kind of bring medical tourism into kind of the mainstream media and people talking about it. But if there's anything that good that can come out of it, maybe people learn the dangers of doing it.
1: Yeah, and in this situation, again, not to lose sight of what we were talking about originally, these people were going to uh... – a town that's adjacent to Brownsville Texas mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and end up getting caught up in a shootout you know so we're talking about botched yeah. surgeries which is bad enough i know right but we I, have
6: to add a whole another layer of kidnapping to the possible bad things that can happen to you with medical tourism and i don't mean to make light of it but i mean it's just no a i get it, it it's, it's the crazy. incredulity
1: of it it's yeah. like wow this is shocking yeah i'm with you uh i i totally understand it's not a laughing matter it's just it's it blows the mind away and it makes you think, my goodness, you know, these people went there thinking they were getting a tummy tuck and we're going to save maybe half. Who knows? I don't know what they were going to pay for it. But uh, clearly they paid with, you know, the lives of two of the people in their group. And and I'm not on a soapbox against medical tourism per se. I'm, you know, I don't know anything about it, really. I just know people do it. And some people come back with great results and others end up on TV. And, and, and it's just shocking to me that this is the world we live in and cartels are very real. And uh, violence is very real. And for years, I've known that the Mexican border is not the safest place to be. So I'm thinking, you know, I've heard people go to Colombia. I've heard people, I'd probably want to go to one of those places rather than go to Mexico because it, it clearly isn't the, the safest place. Yeah,
6: it's now, really sad. You know, I, I grew up in Texas. And so, you know, in the 90s, we used to go to the border towns in Mexico all the time for, you know, spring break or just like a little Yeah, vacation. South
1: Padre Island and all that. Yeah.
6: Yeah, I always felt that it was very safe. And just, you know, over the decades, this has gotten worse and worse. And I'm probably not the person to be commenting on cartel violence. But I know personally, as someone who lives in Texas and who used to go to Mexico all the time, because I love the country, the people, the culture, that I won't go to Mexico anymore. Like, if I'm going to go on vacation, I'm probably going to go somewhere where the cartels won't accidentally get me in the middle of a shootout.
1: Yeah. Uh, 100%. Uh, Folks, we're on with Dr. Bruce Herman. He's a board-certified plastic surgeon. He's the host of Nip Talk, and uh, he's going to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this as well as uh, his program and some of the, the craziest cases he's worked on. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
5: to listen to you rich all the time
0: america at night with rich
3: valdez that remains at level four Uh, do not travel due to crime and kidnapping we've been very clear about that the state department again has put that out Uh, we urge americans to read these alerts before traveling
1: that's Corinne jean pierre white house press secretary saying hey look we're urging americans to read these reports this is a threat level four and you shouldn't be going to that part of mexico so uh, shame on you for going. Uh, the empathy that comes from the White House astounding. Anyway, the FBI's offered a $50,000 reward for the return of these Americans, and I believe they uh, have uh, achieved that. And um, there's uh, just everybody's out there saying things and saying words. Uh, but the reality is these poor people, um, you know half of them are, are dead, the other half are alive. And this is deadly And as we continue our conversation going further south of the border uh, with Dr. Bruce Herman, the host of NIP Talk and uh, board certified plastic surgeon. uh, I want to talk about some of the most dangerous procedures that are out there. I'm looking at this article in Fox News uh, from yesterday, the day before yesterday. Here's the headline, BBL, not always a-okay. Why the Brazilian butt lift procedure is one of the deadliest plastic surgeries ever. Despite the high mortality rate, over 520,000 people got Brazilian butt lifts or BBLs in 2021. And I found that to be very interesting because these are crazy numbers where, you know, if, if you've ever scrolled through Instagram, it seems like every last girl on there has one of these. And it's, it's amazing to me that people keep getting this surgery despite the, the risks of it. Dr. Herman, what say you?
6: Well, I agree 100%. You know, I'm actually fellowship trained in cosmetic breast and body surgery, which I did after plastic surgery. And as somebody who is fellowship trained in cosmetic body surgery, I will not perform Brazilian butt lifts. Uh, the statistic about them having a higher mortality is absolutely correct. In fact, it's 1,000 times higher than the average elective plastic surgery procedure. Wow. And the reason for that is when you're injecting the fat. So I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with this procedure. What, what you do is you liposuction. Maybe you can describe it. Yeah, absolutely. So a Brazilian butt lift is where you liposuction one area, say your tummy or your flank area, and then you take that fat and you process it and you inject it into the buttocks in order to gain that more round, full look. And the reason the mortality rate is so high is there is a a somewhat significant risk of actually accidentally injecting the fat into a blood vessel and and getting what's called a fat embolism, which is a critically dangerous event. And that's why it carries a 1,000 times higher mortality rate. Also, the other reason, aside from the high mortality rate, that I don't like it is that fat tissue always gets reabsorbed to a certain degree. It doesn't always reabsorb even, and you can have people that come out with a lumpy lopsided rear end, uh, which obviously you're not seeing that on the, on the Instagram post. You're seeing them you you know, more been. or less immediately after surgery. So I, I will not perform them, and um, I'm... I'm not the only plastic surgeon out there saying that, but I'm one of kind of the few that's saying that. It is kind of hot right now. People are asking for it. People want to give you money to perform it, and my answer is no.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting here. It's up by 40% uh, Mm -hmm. since 2017, according to the International Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. And I just think, you know, it's fascinating, because I did not know. I knew this was popular, I'd heard about it a million times. But I didn't know that it was deadly and, and it had this, uh, these higher incidences of, uh, of mortality. And when I read about that, I, I, I didn't know any of this, you know, what you described uh, until I had read this article not too long ago. And, uh, and I just think, man, if this is the case, you know, why do people continue to go for it? But I, I guess it's just the, the pursuit of, you know, um, a, a, a bigger booty.
6: Yeah, I mean it's, and we could go into the whole conversation about how is, is social media driving this unrealistic expectation of beauty? I mean, people are seeing people like Kim Kardashian, which I have nothing against Kim Kardashian, but she has that kind of look, and people are trying to mimic that because they're saying, is this what beauty is? Is this the new normal? And so. I, I think it's a little bit, you know, dangerous when people get fixated on social media, especially thing, with things like the filters, which, you know, completely alter how people look. Yeah, and right. so, you know, I just, I, I try to caution people to not, you know, hold themselves to some unrealistic expectation and feel like, you know, their only solution is, is surgery. I mean, of course, I am a surgeon. I do cosmetic surgeries. But I think it needs to be, one, well thought out, and, and two, done judiciously and not do things that are unsafe or that are going to make you unhappy down the road.
1: Yeah, that's that's uh, something. It really is. It just blows me away uh, the way that there has been a uh, – and, and in particular with younger um, users of social media where I think they, they're easily – duped, if you will, mm-hmm. into thinking, oh, wow, that's what I'm supposed to look like. <laughs> and yeah, if I, I don't, know, right? then I've got to go see Bruce Herman. And, and I know. you know, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, from what it sounds like, you give them really good consultation and, uh, you know, the, the, the right the right direction here, because otherwise mm-hmm. people are just going to get absorbed in this. Now, Doc, in the minute or 30 seconds that we have to go, let everybody know how they could follow you and um, keep up to speed sure. with the work that you're doing.
6: Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that's really important to me as a surgeon is to keep the public educated. I'm one of the biggest critics of the field of plastic surgery. I feel like that we need to police our own. Uh, i I started first on social media doing that, so you can follow me at dallas underscore nip tuck. And because of that, I want to take that to the next level. So last year I actually started a talk show. It's a video podcast seen best on YouTube. It's called nip talk n i p t t a l k. And it can be found at YouTube at NIP Talk Show. We do shows every Friday about topics just like this to keep the public educated so that they can make smart decisions if they want to pursue anything plastic surgery, health, or beauty related.
1: Outstanding. Doc, stick around. We have somebody who's got a question for you, uh, but we're going to take a quick pause right here. The number is 844 844- Excuse me, 833-4-VALDEZ. I know the number. I swear I do. Eight three three four eight 482 5337 833-482-5337. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Dr. Bruce Herman, host of Nip Talk on Instagram. Check him out at Dallas underscore Nip Tuck. at Dallas underscore Nip Talk. Let's go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA and check in with Farentino. Welcome. You're on with Dr. Herman and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
2: Hey, Dr. Herman. Uh, my cousin tells me the only way to get rid of the turkey man thing that's going on in my neck is surgery. Is that the only way, or, or losing weight, or exercise, or weight in It's not real bad. It's just kind of starting.
6: Sure. Uh, so that's a great question, and something I actually uh, talk to a lot of patients in my office about is they're starting to get a little bit older, they start to notice that their neck starts to get a little bit stretched out and you'll start to see first maybe a little bit of skin hanging down. As it progresses, you can actually see the bands of the muscle start to hang down. So it really just depends on how far along it is for you. If somebody was coming in at, say, 75 years old, has really, really stretched out skin and muscles, then probably surgery is their best answer. If you're more like in your possibly late 40s, early 50s, then you very well may be able to get by with a skin tightening procedure. I use a laser called Halo that works very well to use to tighten the skin. I use it on myself and my wife, as a matter of fact. And then the other thing I use a lot for skin tightening is called Morpheus, which is a microneedling and radiofrequency energy form of skin tightening. So I think the best thing to do is find a surgeon that you trust, go in and ask them what your options are. Surgery can always fix it, but sometimes skin tightening procedures can do it if it's not too bad.
1: All right. Thank you, uh, Ferentino. I appreciate that. And, Doc, what, you know, yep. uh, same topic with the turkey neck here. Um, okay. Uh, within 20 or 30 seconds, I know somebody who had cancer and had a uh, their neck got really big because of tumors, and they're gone now really? through radiation. But mm-hmm. now they've got all this extra saggy skin, and they were talking about a thread lift. So what do you say, yes, no, maybe so?
6: I'm not a big fan of the thread lift. There is a, a somewhat significant risk of those threads getting infected. So I've, mm. I'm kind of against those. Good
1: things. to know. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, Dr. Bruce Herman, host of Nip Talk. Check him out on Instagram, at Dallas Nip Talk. And Open Phone America is coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, and we're taking your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, and that's Valdez with an S, by the way. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, uh, 17 miles away from Madison Square Garden. And um, speaking of uh, Madison Square Garden, I was in the city last night. went to a uh, cocktail party celebrating Frankie Cutlass, big DJ out of uh, New York. He produced the track that Jennifer Lopez uh, sang when she did the Super Bowl, I don't know, three years ago. And uh, it was pretty cool. Nice guy. Nice to meet. There was uh, really a lot of people in the room. Really, really fun time. And uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out to them on that. Now, I want to talk about uh, Joe Biden because Joe Biden obviously hasn't done a whole lot. Uh, There's been a lot of lip service and Kareem Jean-Pierre's had a lot to say. But there hasn't been a lot of action taken uh, with respect to, you know, the border. Now the violence is on both sides of the border. You know, we've got people coming across the border bringing violence. And now we've got Americans that are going into Mexico for plastic surgery. And speaking of plastic surgery, I've got a story that I've had open on my desktop for, I don't know, almost a week (laughs) that I just uh, keep running out of time. But I want to um, kick this off with a conversation between Peter Ducey from the Fox News Channel and Corrine Jean-Pierre. Uh, the White House press secretary uh, discussing why the Biden administration is just so comfortable with Mexican cartels being so close to America. But before we do, I want to remind everybody that if you have any uh, desire to listen to some of the interviews that we've conducted earlier in the program, you've got to check out the podcast for this program where you can listen on demand anytime at uh, our website. And the website is richvaldesamericaatnight.com. at night.com. That's richvaldes with an S, america at all together. And that's it. It's pretty simple. Now, I also want to give you the phone number. It's 833, the number four, Valdes, 833, the number four, V A L D E S, or that translates to 833 482 5337. You're always welcome to call on our legacy line. And uh, one of the things that I love most about Open Phone America is not only that you get to uh, sound off and and weigh in and and be part of the national conversation here, uh, this late night national town hall forum that we put together every night, but more so that I get to really speak to Americans all over the country and get those unique perspectives, whether you live in a mountainous region or a city region or a desert region, it's great to hear The ideas, thoughts, and sentiments of uh, our listeners that live across the fruited plain. So, that being said, I want to bring in this cut from Peter Ducey with Karine Jean Pierre. Check this out.
4: Cartels kill Americans on this side of the border with drugs, and now they're killing Americans on the other side of the border with guns, why is President Biden so comfortable with cartels operating so close to the US?
3: Well, let's be very clear. Let me take on the drug part here, because since you brought this up, um, because of the work that this president has done, because of what we've done specifically on fentanyl at the border, it's at historic lows, historic levels uh, that we have been able to uh, record a number of personnel working to secure the border because of what we've been able to do. Seizing that fentanyl, We've done it in a historic way. That's because of what this president has done. I just talked about 23,000 federal agents that have been able to be uh, uh, that we've been able to hire and put at the border to secure the border. On top of that, historic sanctions going after traffickers and other financiers are helping disrupt fentanyl supply chains throughout their flow to the U.S.
1: So that is Kareem Jean-Pierre and Peter Ducey, and they're going at it. And you know she's making the case that they're really, really effective at the the border. Things are just hunky-dory, everything's fantastic, but sadly, that is just not the the case, right? The reality is things are bad. and while they have recovered the two Americans that went across the border for plastic surgery and the other two were sadly killed, um, it, this can't be on Biden, right These people went there. I get that. I don't want to come across as saying it's Biden's fault they're going. It's Biden's fault that we have this issue at the border, and the fact that you know he's not checking the cartels. But again, these people were in the interior of Mexico, so you know there's very little that Biden could have done. But what I can say to prevent it, uh, what, what what I can say is the only action he could have taken is in the response, and and the lack of uh, strength throughout really plays a role in this because if. Again, if they had any inclination, forget about who, just imagine a president that meant business, an American president that would have no problem taking to Twitter or to the airwaves or wherever to say, hey, listen, you think about harming a single hair on the head of any American that's overseas, abroad, in Mexico, wherever, we're coming down with everything we've got. So don't play. And I realize you can't always, you know, um, bluff or posture that way, but but there are people that would do it. You know, Reagan was one of those guys that was tough, and he, he took a- decisive action to get the hostages out of Iran. And, and Trump, again, very direct. And I think when you have that type of approach, people say, you know what, let's not mess with these people. But when they can s- sense that weakness and smell the blood in the water, they move in for the kill. And it's a shame just for plastic surgery. Speaking of plastic surgery, there's a story I'm going to read to you in the next segment of a, a Thai drug lord who had surgery to look like what they're calling a handsome Korean man in his attempt to evade the police. So we'll get to that straight ahead and your calls, 8334-Valdez. But first, I want to discuss something that's important because we're talking about health, right? Not just plastic surgery, but our bodies all together, and we have to take care of our liver. Why? Well, because the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver are three and a half more times likely to have heart failure than those without it. That makes sense, right? Your heart's there pumping blood that's, you know, fat. <laughs> so the American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver which means many people are at risk. Now, we throw everything at our livers, cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, cigarettes. Lots of people do lots of things. That's why so many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. And if you're one of those people, you wanna listen to this because it's time that you help your liver. There's a solution. It's called Liver Health Formula and it's from Pure Health Research. It contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that may help recharge and protect your liver. You got to try liver health formula from Pure Health Research and receive a free bottle of their blood sugar formula to help reduce your sugar cravings. You can claim your free offer at GetLiverHelp.com slash Valdez. That's GetLiverHelp.com forward slash Valdez. And that's Valdez with an S, by the way. And remember, these statements and products have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or condition. So keep that in mind and keep it locked right here because we're coming to your call straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ That's
1: Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-482-5337. Three, 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 and listen to this headline, New York Post. Thai drug lord had surgery to look like handsome Korean man in his bid to evade the cops. Now, this is, they're referring to Sarah Hot. Swajinang, 25 years old, who was busted uh, last Thursday after more than three months on the run while pretending to be a South Korean national named Jimin Seong, cops told the Bangkok Post. Mugshots uh, showed how he uh, seemingly changed his appearance And, and it's interesting, it's kind of like the movie they're referencing, the movie, a 1997 action movie, Face Off. None of his original face was left, according to the police. And I'm looking at the picture here now. Let's see here. They're showing the pictures over the years. And, uh, wow, yeah, he went... Fat guy with acne, very round face, to a skinny guy with, like, a chiseled jawline. And um, and it just looks like a different guy, honestly. But uh, mainly because the acne was gone. And uh, Mr. Sawajenang was accused by cops of being a drug lord who was one of the main causes of Bangkok's MDMA epidemic. MDMA is uh, ecstasy. And it was flooding clubs with uh, with this drug. Despite being on the run, he continued the behind-the-scenes dealings in his drug empire, uh, helping the cops locate him at his luxury condo where he was hiding out. However, neighbors told them that no, 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 we don't know that guy. There's only a handsome Korean man that lives here, (laughs) who the police ultimately realized was their suspect. He reportedly told cops that he planned to move to South Korea, even though he can't speak the language. Uh, He wanted to start a new life. He's bored of Thailand, he said, at the arrest, uh, and he told that to the BBC. Local media called it the face-off case after the John Woo movie starring Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Who played an FBI uh, officer and a criminal who swapped faces? That's funny. That's a, a real life case of, um, I guess, life imitating art, if you will. And uh, always, always fun story when you see somebody doing like a real life uh, um, face off. I just thought that was crazy. Now, speaking of Thailand, listen to this. Where is this story? Right here. HelloFresh, the um, app and the company that. Um, I don't know what they do. Sell fresh food. They uh, they're dropping coconut milk that's coming from Thailand, and the reason they're doing that, they're concerned about monkey labor allegations. Under pressure from animal rights activists, Hello Fresh will stop selling coconut milk sourced from Thailand. It's no longer going to be available, and its meal kits coming. Uh, months after the monkey labor allegations that the company just confirmed to Axios.com. Now, major retailers, including Walmart, Costco, Target, and many others, they've already stopped carrying coconut milk from certain Thai suppliers, and they're accusing them of using monkeys for forced labor. But HelloFresh is taking it a step further by saying it won't source any coconut milk from Thailand. Whoa. Officials with the uh, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, also known as PETA, exclusively told Axios that HelloFresh's decision, which followed the organization's supporters in sending nearly 100,000 emails pushing for the change, uh, is what really um, sparked the, the, uh, the, tra- the change here. The, the company, based out of Germany, does meal delivery service, and it says it would stop uh, purchasing and start seeking new suppliers. By this summer, so there you have it. Apparently, monkeys are involved in the creation of coconut milk. Now, I didn't know anything about that, so sue me. You know, I like coconut milk. I didn't know anything about it, and I don't. I don't have it that often. But I didn't know anything about monkey labor. Excuse me, I had no idea, because my goodness, who knew about monkey labor and coconut milk? So anyway, uh, let us um, turn to the phone lines here. Eight six six. 505 is our legacy line and let's check in with Steve he's in Cleveland Ohio W E O L Steve welcome go right ahead
2: Hey Rich love hearing your voice at night
1: Thank you sir I hear appreciate you during
2: that. the day too but you're on at night <laughs>
1: Yeah yeah that's true <laughs> You know
2: it, I mean it, it comes down to like two things that um we don't hear Rush Lynn boys you know Rush Lynn Lim- we don't have Russia's voice during the day. And that, and the more you think about his voice, you know, you can hear it, but his voice is just, I mean, that aggravated liberals to no end, you know? I mean, just <laughs> when- he, Man, it was
1: also all the common sense. Yeah, but I mean, you remember when he started going to something, and, you know, he's
2: coming up, you know, he's just, he's just getting ready to, or he used to call Biden plugs, if you remember yeah. that. And I mean, he had names for everybody. And if, if you just take Five if if these talk show hosts uh during the day would just get five minutes of him or just get him in the background just for a you know, a couple little comments or something, they'd boost their ratings way up. They say, Oh well, we can't, you know, I'm nothing like Rush Limbaugh. He would love it if you have them you know, hey, I'll let you have my uh, popularity, just get my voice in the background. He'd
1: love that, you know. But I mean Yeah. That's a good point. Outrageous. I think we have to learn how to do, and again, I, I'm not saying I'm good at it or not, but I'm saying we do all have to learn from those that came before us and those that are better than us uh, in, in delivering, you know, a, a quality show and taking away what's best, uh, the best practices, uh, if, if you will, and and implementing them in, in our own way. And, um, yeah, I don't know if that's including clips. I don't know if that's um, studying the tape. I don't know if that's, you know, allowing ourselves to be influenced by those Those giants of of talk radio. But either way, um, was there a huge void left behind by the passing of El Rushbo? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just one of those things that, you know, we we have to move on in one way or the other. Uh, I I miss the guy, too. And I, I didn't even listen to the radio a lot during that day part. But, I mean... But for Limbaugh, many of us wouldn't even have a career today. Talk radio would not be what it was. Late night talk radio, yes. But twelve to three daytime talk radio is a new idea. So I give a lot of kudos to Dan Bongino. He does an excellent job filling in for um filling in for the 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 gap that was left behind by the great El Rushbo. And uh, yeah, and I, I appreciate your point too, Steve. And we're gonna get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Um, Steve, are you still there? Was there anything you wanted to add? Yeah.
2: Well, uh, how much of an edge do we have left? Because they keep saying, Oh, we're getting close to the edge. But uh, oh, yeah. you know, two two years of Biden, and that's where Rush said. He goes, Hey, four years we'll, we'll, Democrats are in the White House. They can't destroy it. You know, Clinton can't do it. Well, you know, yeah. Biden's got all the help in the world, but how much time do we have left? I mean, if you listen long story short, if you listen to what Trump said, he goes, Hey, we we we'd be Energy independent. we got more oil than anybody. That's how we'd be paying down the debt because you wouldn't be going to the store and just buying food or you wouldn't be you know, you wouldn't be spending small money. You'd be spending a lot of money and the way he said it, the people listen to C over the weekend of few of oh, Foundation yeah. said, I'd have listened yeah. lot, but they would be paying it down and as they're paying it down, it took the liberals took five trillion. Well, we really don't have to borrow. Hey, let's just print it and throw it in the
1: economy. So Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You th- the, the thing is, I, every, this stuff is all subjective. None of us have a crystal ball. I, I don't know how much more time we have. That's why I think we have to work like hell to, to get to where we need to be uh, electorally, right? We've got to get the right people in place. Thanks, Steve. The music means they're kicking us both out of here. But I will be back. 833 4Valdez is the phone number. 833, the number 4VALDES. It's America at Night. We'll be right back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way. And uh, I remind you of that for many reasons. One, so you don't misspell my name and you can find me on social media and download the podcast. America, uh, no, it's richvaldezamericaatnight.com. But just to tick off every last person that hates that I say it, (laughs) I love to bother people. It's kind of like when I meet people, mainly uh, women, I will, um, you know, let's say, for example, I meet someone named Elizabeth. Um, I'm guessing she doesn't want a diminutive version of her name as a nickname like Lizzie. Um, or if I meet someone named Rosemary, I would say Rosie. Uh, just, and it's in an effort to bother them. I don't know why, but I have this, um, this thing where I like to be like the annoying little brother in many ways with, with, these, uh, with these names that, that you know just bother them. I, I I find uh, I find it fun for whatever reason. Call it a maturity if you will. Anyway, uh there is a um a story about cricket flavored ice cream. Right? Cricket flavored ice cream. And um it, it, it it's interesting to me because people are on this big push to make things healthier and you know, if you need protein, eat the crickets or whatever it is. And and Reese's pieces They're looking to make vegan peanut butter cups. And the way they're going to do it is by switching from milk chocolate and using whole milk to using oat milk so that they can make this product vegan. And I just think that's um, just an interesting thing. So we're going to continue with your calls. And uh, let's go to Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, go right ahead.
9: Uh, I have two kind of unrelated topics, but the first one is, speaking of criminals on the run, there was a Japanese Yakuza, mafia guy, on the run. He was in Thailand. He had this big, beautiful tattoo that covered his torso. Tourists decided to take a picture of it, and he, he said, okay. And she posted it on her media, and guess what? The Thai police realized they had a criminal on the run, and they arrested him, so he was given away by his tattoo. Then another thing is, last night we are talking about child molesters, there used to be a group, it's defunct now, called uh, Perverted Justice. It was volunteers that would set up decoys with web pages. Yep. And, uh, yep, you, okay, you heard that. My. Oh, I sister, remember, yeah.
1: They used to make yeah. videos, too.
9: Yeah, my sister actually helped for about a year or so. And what she did, she was not a decoy, but what she did was help set up fake web pages, which is hard because if you're an adult and you're trying to make web pages that look like like a 15 year old or a 13 year old girl would have it, um, yeah, that's kind of hard. Make sure you got the right musical taste and cultural references, but she did. She did some work for them, and uh, it was a really good
1: group. You know, Sarah, on Friday, I think it was Friday, when I was uh, on Radio Row at CPAC, I interviewed a young lady, and it it aired on Friday, and again uh, over the weekend if you heard the best of. But you could check it out at richvaldesamericaatnight.com dot com to check out our CPAC coverage but there was a woman i interviewed named Vicky Richter and she's a german national from germany but she's in the united states doing different projects on human trafficking and she had worked with the um another group run by Craig uh, Sawman Sawyer out of Arizona and they they did a sting operation working in concert with law enforcement at the super bowl this last super bowl and um the The work that she was doing led to the arrest of five different guys that were trying to traffic uh, children at, at during the Super Bowl, like making exchanges and that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's it's great when you have a group like that that does this stuff to creates these ruses and whatnot to get the bad guys, <clears throat> because ultimately, if they're not doing it, who is, right? And I know the, there's law enforcement agencies that are involved, but I'm just saying if, if those, none of those people are doing it, these people are out there and they're preying on our children. So it's an excellent point that you bring up, Sarah.
9: Yeah, yeah. I think I heard part of the interview. I, I get off and I'm home at like sometime after midnight, but I, I heard the tail end of that, and that was a great program from what I heard of it.
1: Yeah, well, feel free to check out uh, the replay of it. You can always get that at com. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. Good to hear your voice. Let's continue uh, with Mark in Wilmer, Minnesota, KDJS. Mark, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, sir.
2: Hi, Rich. Um, Hello. I was concerned about um beginning of the spy balloon that first started, the first one, and it just started took over like the whole United States till it went to the coast and then they shot it down and whatever they found, they found. I don't know what to this day, but being giving from the start, once you suspect that our military would say, well, isn't that some electromagnetic pulse bomb or device that could knock out our grid? and cause a big problem for the United States of America and its citizens. Why did they just let that go by?
1: Yeah, well, I had that conversation again, and if you want to check it out, I'll give you the same advice I gave uh, Sarah, which was to check out our website, com, and go back to that date. Um, And you'll find that we did an interview with um, General Blaine Holt. He's an Air Force um, uh, Brigadier General that's retired now. But he was the representative to NATO from the United States. Uh, And he explained uh, very similarly, like you did. He said, you know, we don't know what was in this balloon, but it may have had this, it may have had that, it may have had a number of things uh, which are of concern. And he knew that they were flying above uh, nuclear facilities when they were doing their spying and whatnot. So... Uh, China claims that we didn't need to get that close. We could do it from our eye in the sky. We have a satellite there that can handle that. But bottom line was, we we just don't know what was in it. And and I think that's part of the, the issue, is that the administration says, oh, we shot it down when it was over to see That's it, nothing left, nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> and that's it. And I just think, you know, that that's not quite enough. There's people out there that are interested in knowing the truth. And we rely on our government to kind of you know, in theory, to to be transparent. And lamentably, that's not happening. So your guess is as good as mine, Mark.
2: Yeah, right. Well, we may never know.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, thankfully, we know we didn't have any blackouts or any grid issues, but uh, that doesn't mean that they're not to come down the road. So we have to remain vigilant. Anyway, we're going to continue with your calls and more. Thank you, Mark, for your call from Wilmer, Minnesota, KDJS. And um, our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez. We're coming right back.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Taking your calls and more, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, listen, if anybody's out in Connecticut or the Connecticut area, I want you to weigh in on this one. Listen to this. Married Connecticut lunch lady allegedly sexually assaulted student sent nude images for months, according to the police. Her name? Andy, i.e., Rosafort, 31 years old, worked in New Fairfield School District when alleged crimes took place. I don't look for these stories. They find us. It's amazing how we keep hearing these stories of minors being sexually assaulted. This married Connecticut school employee allegedly had sex with a student, sent him several nude photos and videos for months, asking him to send her sexually explicit videos according to a probable cause affidavit obtained by Fox News. Uh, Andy Rosefort was arrested in February, she's 31 years old, and charged with second-degree sexual assault, enticing a minor by computer and risk of injury to a minor after a month-long police investigation while she was working for New Fairfield Public Schools. Roseford had worked for the cafeteria at the new Fairfield middle school. She allegedly began communicating with the 14 year old victim while he was in eighth grade and then assaulted him while he was in ninth grade. She was arraigned in Danbury superior court on March 1st and pleaded not guilty to all charges. Uh, so she is innocent until proven guilty. Um, looking at a picture of her, she's not ugly. Um, I don't I don't see why people do these things, but fascinating. The school district put her on leave after the allegations came to light at the end of the February, and she then resigned the next day. She began exchanging messages on social media with the victim while he was in the eighth grade, according to the affidavit. There was nothing sexual about the messages until September of twenty twenty two. That's when Miss Rosafort allegedly messaged him, you want to see something? And then sent him an explicit image according to the affidavit. There was the first sexually explicit photo that she allegedly sent him. And she was always known to talk to the freshman boys and began conversing with the victim while he was in eighth grade. They must have said that three times. Her lawyer, Jennifer DiCastro, uh, declined to comment says she's awaiting discovery materials. The school district didn't return Fox News calls after the victim received their first uh, explicit image in September of 22. He asked Rosa Ford if she sent it to him by mistake, according to the affidavit, and she allegedly responded by sending him another photo. She routinely asked him to send her sexual videos in return for the images and... This went on for months until January 13th. It's alleged when the victim unexpectedly left a friend's party and behaved oddly after he returned, the friend's mother told police. Wow, he got ratted out by his friend's mom. Fascinating story here. Um, It's fascinating that they're happening every day, and each day we have a different story. So I'm curious here. um, What are your thoughts on this? Where is this coming from? Why are so many 31-year-olds are becoming um, indicted or charged or, you know, um, arrested on on these charges of of sexual assault of a minor. Like, why is this happening? Is it happening all the time and we just didn't know and we're just happening to notice? Because, you know, that's how it is. It's like once you see one blue punch buggy, you start to see a million of them. I don't know. I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are on this because... Uh, Personally, I think this is out of control. And again, I put myself in his shoes being a 14-year-old and uh, having an attractive uh, school employee. You know, I would have been like, yeah, oh, yeah, hell yeah. But at the end of the day, look, this is, you know, this isn't about um, another notch on one's belt or whatever. This is about this woman's entrusted to work in the school around children. And the school in this situation took action. But uh, not a good look, not a good look. I'm sure a lot of parents have a lot of questions, uh, not the least of which the, the mother in question here uh, of this boy. So, I don't know, your thoughts on this and more, give us a call, 833 482 the number four, Valdez. Don't move a muscle, we're coming right back.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Eight three three four Valdes. valdez That's Valdez with an S.
1: All right, America, welcome back. And I just want to remind you, again, if you missed any of the program tonight or any of our interviews, which uh, I tend to think not because I'm doing them but because we have great guests uh, and, and the best opinions, that's because I'm giving them, um, you can check it out at richvaldesamericaatnight.com. Valdez, America at night.com I want you to hear a short clip from EJ Antony, who was with us tonight. He's a uh, senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's an economist. Check this out.
10: We
5: still talk about dollars as our currency, but we haven't had dollars for a very long time in this country. What we actually have are our Federal Reserve banknotes. And, you know, right. that's been the case ever since we had the Federal Reserve. And so all you really need to do is amend that act to change the currency.
1: So that's uh, our conversation with E.J. Anton. If you missed it, gr- uh, great. Check it out. Uh, America at Night with uh, – sorry, Rich Valdez, AmericaAtNight.com uh, to get the full uh, conversation on central bank digital currencies or CBDCs, the new digital dollar that's being proposed. And we also chatted with my buddy Amir Benno, He's a constitutional attorney as well as a civil rights lawyer. And uh, we talked about equal protection under the law. Listen to this.
8: The likelihood of having a majority of a grand jury uh, being uh, opposed to Donald Trump is, it's almost a guarantee. And so they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Whether If if Donald Trump is successful and he he runs and he, he wins the presidency and a criminal case is still pending, then I believe constitutionally that all of those criminal prosecutions would have to stop.
1: So that's uh, Amir Benno, Check out that conversation as well. And um, speaking of um, lawyers and whatnot, there was uh, the the big hearings, the January six hearings, and many considered them to be a sham. And uh, and I'm one of those many people. But uh, Chairman Benny Thompson today was approached by my friend Carrie Pickett from the Washington Times, and uh, we have a little bit of audio on that confrontation. Listen to this presentation
7: that came out last night.
2: Calling the January 6th calling the January 6th Select Committee liars, saying you guys selectively edited the uh, the tapes, said so that you guys pretty much
7: Tucker Carlson, particularly the way you guys put out selectively edited clips, put in sound that didn't exist from the producers from the MSNBC. Tell me. Told you it's not true. Well, then, what you want me to say? Okay, okay, it's not true. Okay, Senator Hawley, the clip of him running by himself when the fact that the, there are a whole bunch of senators who are actually running out to, to, together, and he was mocked. Is that true or is that not
10: true? Say
7: it again? Senator Hawley running by himself when he was running with a whole bunch of other senators? You saw he was running with a whole bunch of other senators, though. You saw him he was running with a whole bunch of other senators. I just made
2: right everybody take it.
7: Tell about What about Jacob Chansley? He was he, he was completely peaceful. I
10: don't
7: know
1: him. Thank you, sir. <laughs> She's talking about the Q Anon shaman. Everybody in January 6 knows that guy. That's the guy with the horns on his head. And that's Jacob Chansley. And she says you know, what about Jacob Chansley? And he says, I don't know. I don't know who he is. <laughs> so I just think it's so funny. That's That seems to be the way out of trouble in, in Washington. Just, uh, I don't know. I'm sure, don't know. I've never heard of it. I don't know anything about it. And that seems to be how you get out of trouble. That's Rep. Benny Thompson disputing the accusations uh, from Tucker Carlson at the Fox News Channel that the January 6th Select Committee was deceptively editing the thousands of hours of U.S. Capitol security footage that they used in order to um, move their uh, agenda forward at the at the committee. Very bad news, in my opinion, uh, because it, it didn't really get to the bottom of a whole lot of anything, right? They wanted to hold Trump accountable. They didn't get anything because they couldn't find anything on him. Is Trump some sort of mega gangster? No, not at all. Um, it's The reality is they just didn't do an effective job of trying to make this case and, and pinning it on him. Maybe they might have fooled some people, but I don't think they, uh, they made an effective case, in my opinion. Now, there's uh, some audio I want to talk about with respect to January 6th. This is Adam Kinzinger. He's on CNN today, and we're talking about, in his opinion, how the January 6th Select Committee was one of the most transparent in history. Listen to this. In terms of saying that we've hidden this footage, oh, we had one of the most transparent uh,
5: hearings in history with the most footage we've ever shown in history. And every single, almost, uh, witness that came in front of us was a very partisan witness. They were all
1: Republicans that came in front of this committee. That's Adam Kinzinger, folks. And uh, as you know, he's out of Congress now. He's uh, persona non grata in the Republican Party. And uh, he's continuing to say, look, we did the right thing. Everything was above board. Everybody was being honest. I'm not buying it. Not the least. Not in the least. Anyway, uh, take care. Good night. And God bless. Hasta la próxima. We're going to do this again tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, another edition of Open Phone America and America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Take care, everybody.